If you would, uh, go with me to the book of Isaiah. Our text is going to be pulled from two portions of scripture, and then we will use that as a springboard to double back and get into some things. Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1, verses 18 and 19. Isaiah 1, verses 18 and 19. Start with verse 18. We're going back to 18. Going forward, sorry, where the text is. 18. There we go. Uh, if you can, pull up 18 for me. I want to follow everyone following at the same time. And I have decided, come, okay, there we go. Verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be or will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall, you will eat the good the best of the land. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best, the good of the land. The book of Isaiah has a general theme. As a matter of fact, going beyond that, Isaiah itself is a miniature representation of the entire Bible uh, with 66 different chapters and broken down the same way. As a matter of fact, 39 chapters uh, in the first and 27 uh, in the other side. Uh, it looks when you examine it like it is a miniature Bible because of how the chapters are broken down and, and the focus that the, 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 the breakdowns actually give you. It's very surprising to see this book and the way it is written. Uh, the purpose for the book of Isaiah <clears throat> was that God made a very clear message to Israel. A very clear message that said to them, I'm warning you, judgment is coming. I have delivered you out of Egypt. I've walked with you through the wilderness. I crossed the Red Sea. I did all of these things. Now you have settled for a while. You got through. So many negatives. And yet you are at this point where I am seeing in you things that do not make me happy as a father. And so the book of Isaiah starts with warning and a layout of what God was seeing. And then he goes on to tell them what his intentions are, what will happen if iniquity continues, if willful sinning continues. These are the things that will happen. I am going to detail a few things 
make some comparisons. Now that you've got a very basic context of Isaiah the prophet speaking to Judah and Jerusalem as God's mouthpiece of warning in a book that is a miniature look at the entire Bible itself. It gives us some springboard that we can go from. He said, come let us reason together. As a matter of fact, I want you to see that God has always been doing this. I'll switch over to that uh, Deuteronomy 28 verse for a moment. I know I've got my folks. Here's what Deuteronomy 28 one says. If you fully obey the Lord, he's always coming back. He's not willing to pronounce judgment on you or I or anyone else without a warning. It does not matter if you see the person die in a tragic car accident. It doesn't matter how he calls a person home. If they had come to the age of accountability, I can promise you there was a warning of some kind about getting yourself right. Especially in America, especially in the developed world. Come, let's reason together, he said in Isaiah. But in Deuteronomy, he says, if you fully obey the Lord, your God, and, and carefully follow him, and all his commandments, I give you this day, this is Moses speaking to Israel, the Lord your God will set your, you high above. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. When you're living in America and you see the emerging class difference, the, the emergence of, of an almost elimination of a middle class, you tend not to be able to see that whatever class you fall into in America, whatever economic structure you fall into America in while you live in America, that God as a savior is setting you on high. That God has literally been working in your life. Whatever your struggles are, you don't want to be living in Ethiopia. Whatever you're going through, if you live in America, you don't have a wish to move from here to some of the remote parts of the, the world, to leave America and move over to Venezuela or to move over to Cuba or to move over to Mexico or any of the developing countries of the world. That, that, that if you live here, more than any other place on the planet, there should be worship coming out of your mouth all the time. Because God said, in everything give thanks, and we have more to be thankful for in America than any other place in the world. And yet... You cannot go any place in our country and spend more than five or ten minutes without hearing someone complain. We've gotten to the place where we complain more than we pray. And for that reason, and probably the only reason, the same reason God came down heavily on Israel as he moved them out of Egypt. Complaining for that reason, each one of us need to pay attention. I want to call our sermon today not just anything. Not just anything. Not just anything. Come, 
Let's reason. Let's settle this together. If you are willing and obedient, you will. You will eat the best of the land, not just anything. Look at someone and said, God is not trying to give you just anything. God is not trying to give me just anything. We have become so complacent as believers, even in our own land, and so prone to complaining that we have literally missed the fact, missed the fact that God has been giving us just anything. Like Israel, we have duplicated complaining behavior in that even when God supplies manna, and being in America means you got manna. Whatever your economic status is in America, if you're here, you got manna. And like Israel, whether you're rich in America or somewhat poor according to American standards, there is a wholesale complaining spirit. And that's okay if you complain a little bit about things, but then you revert back and you get into worship and thankfulness to God because of what he's done. I could get that. But when you are complaining about the politics, complaining about the parties, complaining about gas, complaining about this, complaining about that, and you forgot completely that God said, in everything, I should be thankful that nothing should be left hanging on words of complaint in my, my, from my lips. The, let me say that again. No occasion of verbal response should ever be left hanging on complaint. And yet we're doing it. I want to lay out for you some of the things that God was displeased with. These are several thousand years ago, and the displeasure is the same because the attitude is the same. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2. It says, he introduces in one, and then he says in two, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared you, children, and brought you up. But you have rebelled against me. I have nourished you. Let me reword that. I have nourished you. I have nourished you. I have no Can you look at your life and see and find one place where you know for sure God has nourished you? As a believer, can you look at your life? Because we put complaining down completely. So I am bringing you back to a place of thankfulness. In this place, approaching the place of thankfulness again. Can you look at your life and see God's nourishment coming to you? See God rearing you. Oh my God. The, the, that word is indicative of a hands-on approach by a parent. Latchkey kids left alone to fend for themselves while mom and dad are working 50 hours a week and, and they can watch anything on TV and all of that stuff that is practiced widely in America is not what God is talking about here. This God, Yahweh, has always been an involved parent. And he says, Whatever you got on your lips about complaining, I have nourished you. 
and yet you have rebelled. My dad used to say, you're getting a little too big for your breeches. You don't understand what side your bread is buttered on. You don't know what it means to live on a, a roof free. He'd say all of these things to bring me to the place of understanding that if I wasn't here, nourishing and investing in your life, you won't be what you are. I'm here to remind you this morning. You're watching on TV. You're watching me in the sanctuary that God, you have to be thankful because God has always been nourishing you. Here's how you stay out of rebellion. Thankfulness. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Israel always got into, into rebellion when they started complaining. And when they complained and got into rebellion, rebelled them, led them to foolishness, stupid verbalizations. Like, I wish we had stayed in Egypt. I wish we had stayed in a place where they beat us. Where they, they got so mean with us that they would take some of, the, some of the, the, the dirt that we made stones with and replace it with straw and command, you better make stones that are just as strong. And they had to figure out how to make stone, soil, and straw behave as strong and durable as just clay and rock. And if they did not accomplish, they got beaten and stayed up beyond inappropriate hours. Lack of food. And yet, when they were in under little pressure, instead of saying, God, we thank you for bringing us out of Egypt, you can supply our needs just like you did in Egypt, they Played and they're complaining, left them, move them back to a place of lying to themselves. When we were there, we used to eat leeks and lettuce. We had all kind of wonderful salads that we used to make ourselves. We didn't want for nothing. How could you be a slave in the land of someone else being beaten and forced to labor and, and still say you got everything you always wanted there because complaining led to self-denial and self-lies. God says, I've nourished you. He's talking to Israel and he's talking to us. I've nourished you like a child, like a, like a parent that is involved and you are still rebelling. Verse 3. The ox knows its master. The donkey knows its owner and manager. But Israel, but America, but the world does not know. My people do not understand. I call this willful ignorance. Every other life form on the planet pays homage and honor to the one who created everything. And we plead ignorance. You may be the only one in your family today you may be the only one after this message today that draws a line and says, I will not allow a dog. I will not allow a cow. I will not allow a bird. I will not allow an animal that does not even have a spirit 
to pay homage, to pay homage and to pay honor to God more than I do. The ox knows master, will obey. The donkey knows its owner and will obey. But us, we plead willful ignorance. May God help us this morning because we have been doing the same thing. Verse 4 says, Woe to the sinful nation. And this is in chapter 1. So I've read 18 and 19 and I'm going back to the beginning. 4 says, Woe to the, the sinful nation. A people whose guilt is great. A brood of evil Children given to corruption, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. I call this generational iniquity. Not only can we look around and see our country and every other country, believers, People who call themselves Christ followers. Rebelling, rebelling against God when they should be thankful for his nourishment. We're looking around and we're seeing willful ignorance about who God is and how we should treat him. When even the rocks, the grass itself pays homage and honor to him. Do you understand that by going from brown back to green is the grass paying homage to God? Do we understand that when the trees change their colors and the leaves fall off and the tree sucks all of its nutrient to the core while the winter is pressing in so that it can stay alive to come back in the fall and spring up again and show greenness and buds as the tree pay homage and honor to the God that made it. And yet we We plead ignorance. Then we enter into generational iniquity. It's called we are a seed of evildoers and children of corruption. Children of corruption. It says it there. Woe to Israel, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers. Another translation says, a seed of evildoers. Children who are given to corruption. I want you to look at somebody and tell them, I'm thankful I am the turning point in my family. Or just tell them, I am the turning point in my family. There may be generations before me there may have been generations before me and my family that weren't God-honoring. There may have been generations before me and my family that did not know how to be thankful. There may have been generations before me who were rebellious and not cognizant of the nourishingness of God. But for me and my house, I've drawn a line. I will not be caught doing these things because I, I am the turning point in my family. There's one other one in verse five, it says, why should you be beaten anymore or beaten down? Why do you perish in where? Rebellion. 
So there's a definite connection between rebellion and lack of nourishment. Why, why, why do you persist in rebelling or rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. I call this broken, but don't feel it. Have you ever seen a person that had a broken leg and they were still running? It's not natural. Have you ever seen a boxer continuing the match if during the match he threw a blow and his shoulder slips out of joint or threw a blow and broke a knuckle? Once the pain hits and the brokenness is realized, everything is focused on what? Fixing what is broken. It just hurt me so deeply to have God have to present this kind of explanation about how we behave sometimes. Why, why should you be beaten down? He's saying, you got me. You got me. Why should you be beaten down? Why do you persist in rebellion? I'm looking at you and your whole head is busted up. I'm looking at you and your heart is beaten out of whack. Your arteries are blocked. You're on the verge of a heart attack spiritually. And you just keep doing what you always did. You refuse to come to the specialist, Yahweh. You refuse to visit the doctor's office, Jehovah Rapha. You refuse to call out his name and submit. And I am your father. And I have to sit back and watch you do this to yourself. You're broken and you don't know it. Help me, God. Help me, God. You may not be the one this morning that has refused to let God nourish you and rebelled instead. You may not be the one who is willfully ignorant when everything else about humanity is cognizant of God's goodness. You may not be the one guilty of generational iniquity because your mama, your grandma, your great-great-grandparents were all believers and it came down to you and you accepted Jesus. You may not be the one that's broken and don't feel it, but there are millions around you. They're walking, they're talking, they're shopping next to you, they're working in the next cubicle, they're in your family, they're at the family reunion, and they need your life's example. They need to see what complete commitment to the nourishment of God looks like in someone's life. Will you ignore them? Will you ignore them? The reason God put me here today is because we're talking about delight. Everything is about delighting in God right now. God loves when we delight in him. Quite often when he's looking for delight, 
what he gets from us is stuff that makes him disgust. When he's looking for worship, we offer worship, but no what? Consecration. So we got the steak on a garbage can and we say, hey God, here's my worship. Verse 6 says, there was, it says from the sole of your feet to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts or welts, open sores, not clean or cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. That's, that's how we, we, we're walking around. God is calling somebody to look at your life, look at your life, look at your life. Am I maximizing my Christian effort to be an example? Am I maximizing my, my, my Christian example to be an example for God? I want to go give you three headings because we have examined five things that God saw that broke his heart. But he spends a good bit of time on something I want you to get. I call it sacrifices of hypocrisy. So 1 through 17 is talking about or 1 through 10 is talking about the things that we are doing both as, as human beings and in the church that is causing him to feel such sadness as a father. But then we go from verse 11 all the way through 17 and I have looked at this, and, and what I see uh, are sacrifices of hypocrisy. You can't be called a hypocrite if you are not supposed to be doing something this way, and you're doing it that way, right? So you would not call an unbeliever a hypocrite, because he's an unbeliever. He's supposed to be wild and crazy and sinful. Here's what he says. Verse 11 through 14, sacrifices of hypocrisy. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son, ah, there you go. That's uh, verses 11. The multitude of your sacrifices. Okay, there we go. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of what? The fat or fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of the bulls and the lambs and the goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings to me. Your incense are detestable to me. You're keeping the new moon and the Sabbath. And you've got complications. And I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon and the feast and your appointments, fest, appointed festivals, 
I hate with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Does this sound like the church today? When you spread your hands out in prayers, I hide my face. I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood or full of iniquity. That you have never taken the time to repent of, but you're worshiping. You haven't taken the time to say, I'm sorry, God, wash me. But you're giving thanks. You haven't taken the time to consecrate. But oh boy, you got that filet mignon laid out. God, I've given you my best. He said, I can't take it no more. You got to do something. I looked at it and combined 11 through 14 into something that I saw that I believe you can use. I love sticky things. They were offering, continue to offer ritual without what, Grant? Without relationship. How many of you this morning have really enjoyed ever being in a relationship or a marriage with someone who does every single thing right when it comes to serving and providing, but they never look at you across the dinner table with a smile. They never, ever glance at you with eyes of softness and desire. They never take the time to physically embrace you and say with their actions, I love you. How do you explain that? Because the world is full of people who are willing to vouch for that. Oh, you got it good. He working, ain't he? You got a house to stay, don't you? You got a car you're driving. I don't know why you're complaining. I'm putting everyone on notice. You are going to be pressed and pressured to accept, to embrace, to smile at folk that are steeped in ritual but have no relationship with God. And you have to know this ain't right, 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 this ain't right. You got to have relationship. You got to have righteousness. It can't be just doing all the stuff, coming to church, paying your tithes, doing all of the stuff that looks good. And then have the audacity to call it delighting in God. I don't know who I'm speaking to today. But like they say, it's time. It is high time that we figure out who we belong to. Ritual, rituals without relationship. You want to look right, but you don't want to be right. 
Give me verses 15, please. This is all in Isaiah chapter 1. When you spread out your hands in prayer, is that 15? I hide my eyes from you even when you offer many prayers. I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. 16. Wash and make yourself clean, please. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Folks don't like, no, nobody wants you to preach this hard. And that's why I'm not. I'm just reading it from the Bible. Because I don't want anyone listening or here sitting to leave this message saying he, was, he just made me feel bad. He just preached against me like I was, like, like, like he I felt so abusive. Let it be known that I am not the abuser here. If you want to call somebody abusive, go ahead and call God an abuser. Because this is what I'm reading from the word. Go wash your hands. No. Just go in 16. 16. Wash your hands. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Take the evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. A was ritual without relationship. B is worship without washing. Worship without washing, Dr. June. Worship without washing. I didn't get this until this message, but it's the same as, as worship without consecration. Or, uh, yes, worship without consecration. It's, it's worship without cleaning. It's the filet mignon of worship on a dirty life. And saying, God, here it is. And he said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking it no more. I'm not taking it anymore. I believe we are in a season of release and recovery. And what that means, what that means for you and I as believers is that there is a, there is a, a breakout blessing that God has ordained for this season. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. People who will say nasty things about God and Christianity, and you just sit there and let them say it. But his delight is in the law of God. And in his law, God's law, does he meditate day and night. And you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. This is your season. And it is your season because you refuse to stand in the way of sinners. To hang out with ungodly, not physically sitting with them, but participating in their Worship without washing. Verse 17, the last one. Verse 17, the last one. And we're closing it out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 17, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless plead the case of the widow. At first glance, I thought this was talking about community involvement. 
that the church needs to do more outside the church than we are doing inside the church. And, and, and at a very top level, it's saying that. That verse is saying that. But if you go a little deeper, can we go deeper? You know what it's saying? You're selfish. Everything is about you. Everything is about you. Doesn't matter how pretty you try to make it look. If we see below the surface, it's all about how you come out. You're selfish, never selfless. I can't wait for the day when I spend my time with not just one or two believers, deacon, not just one or two believers, elder, not just one or two believers, Pastor Taylor, but an entire congregation of folk that are absolutely selfless. That folks don't always have to tell you when they're in a bad place. That you've got a spirit of compassion and empathy that lives inside of you. That you feel the pain of others. And you are attracted to them. pastor doesn't have to make an announcement. That we don't have to put something on the bulletin board or make an appeal from the podium that the Spirit of God speaks to you. And you pass by someone and you just feel pain. You feel it. You just stop and say, I don't know, I don't need to know, but God told me to stop and just encourage you. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Don't tell me about the details. I, I just felt, felt a need to stop by and just hug you. I ain't got nothing to say, but, but I just needed to give you a hug and just say, I'm here. When I pray, I, I'm, I'm calling your name out. I don't know what you need, but, but I, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know. I'm, God told me to give you back up, and that's what I'm going to do. And it's going to be all right. An entire congregation. Could you imagine what it would feel like to have an entire church of folks that are selfless instead of selfish? There are folks that come to church. You all have come from the environments where people come to church on an Easter Sunday in their best outfit. And if somebody doesn't say, girl, you look great. You look like you walked out of a magazine. You look so beautiful. If they did not hear that, Easter Sunday was a flop. If the pastor didn't say something about their hat. Church wasn't good. The message wasn't even a blessing. Because it was all about you. And it's all about you when you stood up with your big hat and your fancy clothes and your hat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He said, I'm tired of that. I'm, I'm not going to burn you up, but, but I'm just telling you plain as, as it is. It's what I hear God saying. I'm not, I'm not going to retaliate and kill you, but, but I'm, I got to tell you, I'm hurting. I'm sad. You got to do something. You got to do something. You got to do something. 
in this season of delight, you got to do something different. In this season of delight, you got to do something different. In this season of, of an expectation beyond what you have ever expected in your life, you have got to do something different. I believe it's the whiners that says the ordinary just wouldn't do. I need it out of touch from you. Is there somebody here that's willing to say that? God, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, the ordinary just wouldn't do. I need another touch from you. I'm fully depending on you, Jesus. The ordinary just wouldn't do. I need another touch from you. I find myself, I find myself in you, Jesus. The ordinary just won't do. I need another touch from you. Father, this has been an emotional message for me. And it has pulled a lot out of me to deliver. But I pray that somebody on TV, somebody on Facebook, somebody on Twitter, someone who has given you whatever is left over that you have become of whatever is left over, God. That the relationship has been filled with rituals and no relationship. God, touch your heart right now. In this sanctuary, somebody, someone, is making a new resolution. ordinary just won't do. The ordinary just won't. I don't know if you guys can find that song just while we, we get ready to close out. The ordinary just won't do. I need another touch from you. So, could you tell? Is someone saying that right now? The ordinary just won't do. I need another touch from you.